Would you open your Bibles to the book of Galatians while we're talking about this? Chapter 2. Verse 16. Paul is picking up the thought of man is not justified by what he does. He's not justified by the works, verse 16, of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law, died to the law. For I through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not set aside the grace of God. Some translations say I don't frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Lord, would you give us um, wisdom and direction and that your word would be the lamp that you promised, the light that you guaranteed that it could be not Darren's word, but yours. That it could be just as real 2,000 years ago as it is today, that it is as relevant then as it is now, and your promises are still secure. In your name we pray, amen. Out of curiosity, how many of you in this room have been a Christian for the majority of your life, maybe born into it, or raised in a church? I definitely was. Um, I got saved as a young man, Parenthetically, a couple weeks ago when I was telling the story about fake fall, I don't know what statistically the chances of this are, but this is a true story. There were two people there that night that were preaching in this little church in Superior, Nebraska. Elizabeth Pruitt, she was the one that prayed for me when I did the fake fall. If you weren't here, you'll have to go back and get the recording, but I faked being slain in the spirit. Anyway, um, I got healed that day. It was really crazy, but it happened. The other guy was a guy named Marty Clancy. They were doing this dual thing, this uh, dueling, revi- like the revival, and this Marty Clancy. And I'm telling the story two weeks ago of this happening, and right there, uh, sitting where the Raiders were sitting, was Marty and Jan Clancy, who I haven't seen in 30 years, who I had heard had lived in the Nashville area, but all of the chances of me telling the story of a night that happened 30 years ago in a little... More than that. How old... Oh, man. More than that years ago was Marty and Jan Clancy, and he waited around to the end of the service and said, yeah, I live over in Eagleville, crazy enough. Uh, and I, I totally remember that night. Because <laughs> I remember bringing you up and you telling about Jesus healing your big toe. And I thought, I don't know what the chances are, but Marty and Jan were here that morning, so I gotta be careful what stories I tell. Um, but being raised in that environment, I got, this is a theologically unsecure, uh, inaccurate term, but I was radically saved as a young man. And I know that I say theologically inaccurate because we're, any time we're saved, we're just radically saved. It's just whether or not we know it or how much we respond to what the truth of God is inside of us. And so as I was radically saved, I was traveling with my pastor 
Uh, I'm seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. We would do these outreaches. We call them small groups now. But in that day and age, it was outreach ministries. And we would do these house churches in little towns that were like 45 minutes to an hour away from this little town that I was in. And on Monday night, it was Franklin, Nebraska. And on Tuesday night, it was Belvedere, Nebraska. Wednesday night, we had youth group. And on Thursday night, we had uh, in uh, Hebron, Nebraska. And I was there every night. And I would teach the children and the pastor would teach the adults, and I, at the age of 16, go on a mission trip for the first time with a guy named Ron Luce, who uh, started a ministry called Teen Mania. Back then, there was only 30 kids, and I was one of them. I was 16 years old, and my mother saw fit to send me across, the, you know, the, into Central America with a 24-year-old guy who she'd never met in her entire life. Wisdom or stupidity or some combination of the above. Um, but in that time, what started out as this radical salvation began to be this thing that I learned to pretend to be. Because it was all about doing, 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 and not the relationship that I had with Christ. And so I would hear the pastor talk about how, man, I just kicked Satan's rear end this week, and here's how I did it. And so what I learned was that if I was going to be accepted, that I needed to do X, Y, and Z, read my Bible every morning at 5 in the morning, pray in the Holy Ghost without ceasing and, and this rote thing. And so I didn't do that, but I acted like I did. I didn't live this way, but I acted like I did. And by the time I was 18 years old, pretending to be something that I wasn't, pretending to be spiritual when I, in fact, wasn't keeping all these rules and regulations, I began to be what Galatians 6 calls weary and well-doing. That I had doing, doing a lot of good things, but without the power of the Holy Spirit. I was doing the right things for the wrong reasons, and I began to be uh, what we would refer to now burned out. And many of you probably recognize that part of your life. And over time, I found that I was a really good lawyer, <laughs> that I knew all the laws, do this, do that, and I would prosecute others, but you know who I really prosecuted? was me. You are not good enough. You are not doing this right enough. And, and sometimes in the sermon, you know, it, I don't know what it is about as Christians, but sometimes we can be so masochistic. Oh, that was good preaching this morning. You really stepped on my toes this morning, preacher. Don't shout me down. Because I just love getting beat up by the preacher. We didn't call them preachers where I was from, but here in Tennessee, that's what I'm called apparently. Aren't you the preacher over there at Conduit Church? Yes. But then the pendulum in my life swung from being a lawyer to this other side, which was, well, I'm, God loves me so much, and that, which is true, absolutely true. That he's not afraid of my brokenness, true. That we would sit in groups and dwell and talk about our brokenness, and our, we, we, we called it brokenness, but it was really sinfulness, but it was a good euphemism. And... But in the brokenness, what I would talk about was we would talk about how broken we were and how God loves us anyway. And that's true. And it was this neat thing until for a couple of years of that, realizing that we weren't going anywhere. We were sitting in a circle looking at each other broken, but nothing was changing or transforming in our lives. And an interesting thing happened when we went there. Not, I wasn't no longer a lawyer, but we were lawless. So not a lawyer, but a lawless people because... What I saw happen in a lot of my brothers and sisters there was when they responded in that way was what ends up happening is we were changing the definition of what sin was. We were changing the idea that God was not angry at the sin. 
And so things began to be acceptable that were not acceptable in God's eyes, things that we would do that really weren't for the best of who we are, and it was sin. And so what ends up happening was we were, you know what we were being? I'll take a little bunny trail for you. The word false, so in the, in the Ten Commandments, in the law that we're talking about, it doesn't speak of lying, it speaks of bearing false witness. And false witness, there are two instances of false witness in the New Testament. One is in Matthew 26, 50-something. 50, 50 I'm shooting from the hip here, so correct me if I'm wrong. If somebody reads it and finds it as different. They, they brought false witnesses before Jesus. And they said, hey, he said he was going to tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. That was true. He did say that. That was the right information. But Jesus said in the book of John, it says that he spoke of not of his body, or of the temple, but of his body. So it was the right information, the wrong implication. Same thing happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Right information, wrong implication. That is what it means to bear false witness. When I say that my, I am accepted, that God says, come, I love you just the way you are. I accept you just how you are. That is the right information. The wrong implication is that my father loves me so much that he would let me stay the way that I am. And whether that's with the law or with lawlessness, the same thing happens. I am perverting the gospel. Saying that in the law, God loves you just the way you are. Now you can do and obey all these rules and regulations and policies and procedures. The other is that he loves me so much that I don't have to do anything. I just stay the way I am. In fact, I can do whatever I want to do. Neither of which are the right implication. Jesus does look at our sin. Our Father looks at our sin and says that it's, it's it, whether it's a quote-unquote little one or a big one, there is no such thing as a victimless sin. Young people, if you've lied to your parents, what does it do? It breaks the relationship in that area of your life with your parent. Because I can't tell the truth there of, if I did this and I'm sneaking, now I have to hide this part. And so now what happens is the relationship is broken. There is the littlest of sin. There is no such sin. It is only sin. And of course, the lawyer's side says that come just as you are and then I'm going to prosecute you for everything you're doing. The Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. That is pre-Calvary and post-Calvary. So my works before and after the cross are still filthy rags compared to Jesus. That's the right implication. My question for me was, I read this and I think, okay, do I want to be a lawyer or lawless? And the answer is in neither. And it's found, I believe, the answer to this Dilemma of what does it mean that we were talking with Edie a couple weeks ago? Our kids are saying, Well, if I'm forgiven for everything I'm ever going to do, then why not just, well, he didn't say this word, why not just get my money's worth? And, and truth be told, if that is an idea that someone is beginning to wrestle with, we're in good company. Because that was the Paul, the gospel that Paul preached was so radical that in Romans 6 he would say, What shall we just sin that grace may abound, which is King James for get my money's worth? Absolutely not. The answer to how this works, the answer to this Christian life is honestly and simply and profoundly found in this idea that I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. That I am dead and yet now I am alive. 
And as I've really prayed about it over the years, the question of why, dead to what? Dead to the stink of stench of sin? We shot a skunk on our property yesterday. Tony probably knows this, but you, you got, if you're going to shoot a skunk, you've got to get him on the first one. <laughs> Wounding him does you no good. <laughs> Those little egg stealers. But the skunk is dead now. He, does, he is completely unaware of the stench <laughs> that is permeating from five, like three acres away. Just when the wind gets just right. Yes, we're dead to sin. Absolutely. That's what Romans 6 tells us. It's what Galatians is telling us. But look what he says in Galatians 3 or 2 verse 19. I, through the law, died to the law. I'm not just dead to sin. I'm dead to the law. Dead to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. Now, I look at that and think the dilemma is, well, which, why? I mean, is it the don't commit adultery? Is that the one that's a problem? Is it the don't kill, the don't steal, the don't lie? I mean, which, which law do I have a problem with? The law is perfect. The problem is you're not. The law is perfect in all of its, if I live a life where I'm never stealing and killing and destroying, and which that sounds familiar, that's the resume of Satan, then I am perfect. The problem is the law is perfect, I'm not perfect. And so my question is, how can I be dead to the law, dead to the Ten Commandments, dead to don't steal, don't kill, and yet not live a lawless life or a lawyer life? What is the promise that Jesus is saying here? If you've got your Bibles, maybe it would behoove you to go to the book of Romans with me. And while you're going there, Romans 6 and Romans 7, let me tell you why. I'm going to give you four things really quickly of why it's okay that you are dead to the law. Why it's okay that you're not waking up tomorrow morning with a list of ten things that I'm going to keep today. Number one, Hebrews 7.19 tells us that the law made nothing perfect. It's okay that we die to the law because it didn't make us perfect. It only proved to show that we're not perfect. If you're a little guy or a little girl, maybe you remember you go to the, uh, a theme park, go to Disney or whatever, and, and all your brothers and sisters are taller and they got to go on the ride, but you got to stand up against Mickey Mouse with a little ruler and realize that you're not tall enough, that you're not good enough to go on that ride. That's what the law served to do. If I just break one of them, the chain is broken. It didn't make us perfect. It just showed us that we weren't. I mean, think before the Ten Commandments, there was no law from the moment that Abraham was justified by faith. 430 some odd years later, there was no law in that time frame. But at that point, at those Ten Commandments, it was saying, look, this is what it's like. I'm going to show you what it is like to be justified by how good you do. It doesn't make anybody perfect. The next one, the second one, is that it brings about wrath. Romans 4, 15. That the law, it's related to wrath. You've violated the law. That God's anger, he doesn't look at sin with a wink and a nod. That boys will be boys. It's gonna happen. 
There is, there must be, God is a just God and the justice will be satisfied one of two ways. On the cross with Christ and what happened to Jesus or when you stand before him after rejecting him. Those are the two moments of justice. That's why you look in the scripture, there are two different judgment seats of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of the Bema seat, the one that you and I stand before. If you've accepted Christ and believed on what he did, which is one where he doesn't look at me, he looks at Jesus. He stands there for me. And then there's the great white throne, which is the one of those that would say, I would not have you to be Lord over my life. And that's the one where it says, okay, I'm going to do it my way. Here's your 10 things. Did you get them right? One of them is wrong. You're broken. It brings about wrath. It brings about the justice. The third thing is that it gives death its power. This is fascinating to me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, you can write it down. Go there later. The sting of death is sin. This is that whole thing where the sting of death, oh, death, where is your sting? And we believe that you know, death was defeated not by not dying but by resurrection, that you will resurrect just like Jesus did. But it listens, that the, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Jesus Christ. The power of death, the power of sin is the law, the Ten Commandments. Because now my power, it doesn't require, we'll go to number four, it doesn't require faith, it requires compliance. And in Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you wake up in the morning and I'm going to live by these Ten Commandments and I'm going to do whatever these things say, you are choosing to live by the law and not by Jesus. And he's saying, you're going to live by them. It doesn't require me to have faith. It just requires me to be compliant. It requires me to be obedient, period. And what does Hebrews 11 tell us? That without compliance, it's impossible to please God? No, without faith. It's impossible to please God, that the law does not please God. I am crucified with Christ. I am dead to my sin. Yes, that's what Romans 6 tells us. I am also dead to the law. That's what Galatians is telling us. Darren, this is a big setup for what? (laughs) If you've nodded off, wake up, and then you can go right back to sleep because this is the money moment. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. That word crucified is in the the perfect tense, which means I am married to Shannon. That calls to remembrance an event that happened 20 years ago, but it doesn't camp on that moment. It's a perfect present tense. It it talks about the resultant state of being. I am married to Shannon. Every day I wake up. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. If you have prayed a prayer or said, man, today I'm going to die to my sin and die to the law, you're already dead. <laughs> yeah, but Darren, doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15 that we, I die daily? He did say that. He was speaking of his persecution. Read the context of it. He's saying, I was I died daily. I was bitten. I was snake, you know, snake bit. I was shipwrecked. I, the, he was saying, I die daily, living every day. He lived with death, quite literal, not spiritual. You are dead to sin. And in Romans 7, he tells us why. You don't have to do that daily. That already happened. You done dead. You gone. But you are now resurrected. And not you, but Christ in you. 
And he says in Romans 7, after 6, he sets up this amazing thing about how you are dead to sin and that sin has no power over you. Drive by any cemetery and tell me if you see a policeman patrolling there. They don't, they, they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> they know sin there. They gone. They in heaven now. But this side of heaven, sin has no power over me. And here's why. In Romans 7, he speaks of a, a marriage. And in the first few verses, he says, he's talking about the Jewish law, which says that if you were married and divorced, you get married again. This is the thing that Jesus dealt with, and we do not have time to dive into marriage and remarriage and divorce and those things and the law and that. But the law then said if you were married and divorced and then remarried, you were an adulterer. And what he says here is you were married to the law, and the only way to be married now to Christ Someone's got to die. He didn't kill the law because the law was perfect. It was you that died. And now you are resurrected, verse 4. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. I am resurrected not to a list to be married to a list, I'm, mar- I'm not married to a program, I'm married to a person, married to something that is alive, that I might bear fruit. For years, my fruit was more like tinsel on a Christmas tree than fruit from a tree. I decorated it really nice. But you know what happened? We do, I almost burned our entire house down, our yard anyway, because we do the annual, uh, years growing up, we would burn the Christmas tree every year. <coughs> Didn't really think it all the way through. And, but that tree had been disconnected from the source, covered in all kinds of decorations for a month. It was beautiful. And that thing burned like that. I mean, it was an inferno. And at one point when Lauren, my uh, 13-year-old, says, Dad, you set the yard on fire. <laughs> and we're watching the fire spread out. Like, but it burned because it was dead. I burned out because I was not alive in the spirit, but dead. When I am attached to the vine, as Jesus speaks of in John, bearing fruit, as he speaks of in Galatians 5, and bearing fruit, as he talks about here in Romans 7.4 and in Romans 6.22, I'm not decorating the tree with anything from the outside. I am bearing fruit that comes from the inside. He loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. If you've been around a farm, you know that pigs, they love to wallow. When he talks about pearls before swines, I wonder if that's part of the pictures. I'm over here busy wallowing in my own sorrow, not realizing that the promise of God was that I could be transformed. Not by my efforts, not by a law that was external, but by the internal power and the working of the Holy Spirit. How does this work? I believe it's why baptism, number one, is so important. That we're baptized not just to get wet, but I am saying to the world, I'm saying to myself and to the Father that I am dying. If I hold you under too long, that's no bueno. But it speaks of that. You can't live, you can't exist underwater. It speaks of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. I believe that when you, are pract- when you have obeyed the Lord, and it's why I honestly don't mind, quote-unquote, rebaptizing someone, 
Because if you went into it not really understanding what you were doing, it's a moment of prayer, a moment of the Holy Spirit coming upon you when you come out of the water. Look in the book of Acts and see how many times when someone comes up from the water that that's the moment when they were filled with the Spirit. Because there's this miraculous thing that happens in baptism. And I think that when I put away myself and realize I'm dead to that sin, the next thing I have to do is recognize that I am I'm not only dead, but now I am alive and I am loved. When Jesus came up from the water, what did his father say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Later, when Satan would tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he would say to him, are you really the son of God? If you are, then turn this stone into bread. But look what he left out. He didn't say beloved. He just said son of God. I believe it's because if you recognize and understand and know that you are loved, the temptation loses its power. And Satan was trying to hide that. And of course, Jesus knew that he was loved, that I am his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. The book of John speaks over and over and over and over again of being loved. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. What if we could get that, just that, and know that? Romans 6 talks over and over and over again about knowing. Do you not know that you were baptized? Do you not know that you're dead to sin? Do you not know? It starts with us knowing that we're loved. Baptism is us acknowledging it, understanding that we are loved. And how do I do that day to day to day when you're praying? Some of us, we don't know how to pray, and some of you, you have a prayer language and you pray that way. But if you don't know how to pray, just pray the scriptures, that I am beloved of him, that I am just, what is the scripture that God is? Because it's already his word, you're just agreeing with him. Confession in the scripture, homo legea, is saying, I am just saying the same thing as Jesus is saying. For us, confession is, I did it, I did it, I did it. But that's not the idea of confession when he's talking about it, of confessing. I'm just saying what he is saying. I am saying that I am beloved. I am saying that I am accepted. I am saying that he died for me, that I am the righteousness of God, that it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Pray those prayers as you drive and as you get up in the morning and as you bathe and as you shovel poop like I did this morning. You know, just, but as you're praying, just pray those things out loud and it's amazing how it goes from being an experience to an education to being established. And he's patient and he loves you, and he accepts you. But man, how awesome it is to be able to be so established in it that when I do stumble, and when I, I don't know about you, but if you thought when you came to Jesus that you'd have no more sin, no more problems, boy, was I wrong. The difference is is that for years when I would stumble, I would would put myself in time out. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can't pray this morning because I really blew that one big. I was a lawyer to myself and prosecuting myself. If I understand that I'm beloved and I'm accepted, then when he looks at me and when he looks at Jim, he doesn't see Jim, he sees Jesus. He solved the problem of being a lawyer or being lawless in Jesus. And as our worshipers are coming, what about you? Where do you stand in this? Do you know? Like Romans 6, do you know? The Bible says in Romans 12, just a few chapters later, he, he says, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind by what you know. Do you know that? And do you believe it? And maybe some of you, it's time to take that step and be baptized. We got a koi pond right behind us. 
if you want to take that step in obedience and say, I'm going to be baptized, and I'm not just dying to sin, but I'm dying to the law. I'm not just dying to lawlessness. I'm dying to law. And I'm resurrecting to not a list or to a program, but to someone who is alive and who is a person. And I love what Benny said last week. If you missed last week when Benny taught about parenting, even if you're a grandparent and you've done it already, I would encourage you to go back and listen because you can mentor young parents as well. But he said that raising your children isn't so much about having to have this devotional every day and marking off this list every day. It's inviting your child onto your journey of being discipled with Jesus. They're following along and watching you. That is simultaneously very freeing and very weighty at the same time. But the freedom is, is that it wasn't about a list, it's about you. They're not following your rules and regulations, they're following you. I'm not married to my wife's lists and regulations and policies and procedures. I'm married to Shannon. She's a person. And the more that we can love each other, because I love what he says, that you are now resurrected, in, and we'll end on this in verse 6, I think, to, you're resurrected not to go and to obey, obey the list, but to serve each other. The fruit is love. We're not called to be lawyers. We're not called to be lawless. We're called to be lovers. Lovers of Jesus, lovers of each other. Not by decorating my tree and disconnecting it, but by saying that, no, the fruit is gonna come naturally by me just remaining in him and him remaining in me. It's really quite freeing. And those moments when you blow it, don't send yourself to time out, send yourself to Jesus because he loves you. Those moments when you don't blow it, don't go around tooting your horn because you did it. I love this. He actually says in, uh, in Galatians, not in some translations, which is correct, the faith of Christ, not faith in Christ. It's Jesus' faith in you. It's not even your faith. When he says that I've given everyone the measure of faith, that's the faith he speaks of. You don't have to count on your own thing. You can count on his. It's awesome. Pray about it. If you want to get baptized next week, whatever week, we can fill this thing up anytime and bring him a moment in a story of you saying I'm dying to myself and I'm dying to the law and resurrecting to the power of the spirit inside of you. And if you've already had that moment and you've said, man, I am crucified in Christ, I was saved, I, I was made new at that point, start believing it because it's true. Don't let the lawyer in you start to stack the evidence. Yeah, but I did X, Y, and Z. God says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Your sin is forgotten as far as the east is from the west. And then as that spirit comes up inside of you, every day you get to do what Bucky's doing with end slavery to say that this is what the spirit is doing in me. To say to these young women that have been caught in the sex trafficking that I'm gonna do something about that because that's what the spirit is asking me to do. Not because I'm trying to please God, but because Christ is living in me and that's what I think Christ wants me to do. Christ wants me and my daughter to go to Uganda. Christ might want you to go and invest in our children right here every Sunday. What does he want you to do? Not the outward, but the inward. Not the list, but the alive Savior. Father, would you give us wisdom and direction, the power of being crucified with Christ, and it's not us that lives, but you and us. Thank you for your spirit that is alive in us. We are loved, we are accepted, we are welcome in your presence, and thank you for the transforming power of you inside of our hearts every day a little less selfish and a little more selfless, a little less immature, a little more mature, not because of our efforts, but because of you and the work of the Spirit in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.